We have uh, started the sermon series for this month, The Grind. In the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 23 to 24, it says, Whatever you do, work heartily, for you are serving the Lord Christ. This past week, my kids were out of town. They went with my mom to Texas to see my nephew graduate. And so my wife and I, we took advantage of the time uh, alone, and we decided to go out of town as well. And we were gone, and uh, Wednesday, excuse me, Sunday, Sunday evening, getting ready for bed, and I heard myself saying, well, back to the grind tomorrow, right? And how many know that when it comes to work, when it comes to labor, we use terms and phrases like the daily grind, the rat race, the doldrums, and it's such, a, such bleak phrases, right? Like no one, saying those, you, there's no excitement in going to work. Right? You, you hear the words labor and toil and grind, and you think, man, that just sounds like strenuous activity right there. Sounds like you're going to be actually doing that working. But then you get phrases like uh, labor of love. When someone says it's a labor of love, uh, what they're saying is that uh, the work, the toil, the, uh, the labor, the sacrifice that they're making, uh, it's coming from a place uh, not of grudgery, uh, but a place of love. There's passion. There's excitement. Uh, there's a, a willingness to sacrifice because at the end of the day, what's produced, uh, what's accomplished, that, that work's end goal is far more important than any labor or sacrifice that they can put in. It's a labor of love. In 1967, there was a young man by the name of Leonard Knight. And this uh, young man, he drove from Virginia to California to visit his sister. And his sister had become a born-again Christian. And when he was visiting her, he, she began to tell him about the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ. And she began to tell him how he could change his life and how he forgives sins. And at that moment, uh, this young man, Leonard, he dismissed it. Really wasn't there to hear that. And he just kind of, you know, thank you for sharing, but really didn't um, receive it right then and there. But something took place because as he was driving home, he began to repeat the, the sinner's prayer. He began to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me and come into my heart. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me and come into my heart. He said that uh, for like 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes straight, he kept saying that over and over and over again. And the result was he realized he was a sinner. And Jesus did, in fact, come into his life. He had a born-again experience, a born-again conversion. The sister had planted the seed. And, and even though right then and there he didn't receive it, uh, he did come to faith in Christ. He was so excited about his love for God that he wanted to do something to just express his love for God and express that, that God is love. And so in the middle of a California desert, uh, he came to this revelation that he would build a monument to God. And he would show just how much that God is love. Uh, we know it as Salvation Mountain, and there's some pictures. So go back to the previous one. That's him right there. God never fails, Salvation Mountain. And so he says that the message of, of that mountain is simple, is that God is love. 
and that in 100 and plus degree temperatures with no electricity, no running water, sleeping in his truck, uh, with the donations that people brought, he began for 30 years of his life, almost 30 years of his life, this labor of love. And now when people see it, uh, they can't help but to read that message that God is love. For this in individual, this was a labor of love, 30 years worth of work, and it was all because he loved God and he loved people. And in the book of 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, it says, and so we know and rely on the, love, on the love God has for us. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. I've entitled this message this evening, Labor in Love. Labor in Love. I really believe that the Christian life is a good life. Being a born-again believer is a blessing, it's a privilege, it's, it's an awesome thing to be called a, a Christian, and I think especially in this day and age. It, the world right now is chaotic, it seems so tumultuous, it seems so uncertain, and yet uh, we know in whom we serve. We, we're, we're not blindly following blind, but we serve a real God. Our eyes have been opened. We can see that everything that's going on are, are just uh, birth pains, that God is about to do a great work. And so we don't have to fear. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious or afraid because we know in whom we serve. It's Christ who leads us. We're followers of Christ. We're disciples. We're learners. That means that when we follow, we follow God, we follow his leading, but we also follow how Christ lived. And Jesus, he lived as a servant. The book of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 26 to 27, says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We know that servants, they're laborers. And I thank God and, and, and for the servants here in the household of God, for the laborers that we have here in the house of God. We have right now servants, laborers, working with our kids, uh, whether it's in the rangers or the impact or even in the nursery. We have our laborers up in the media booth. We have our worship team. They're servants leading us in praise and worship and ushering in the presence of God. They serve because they love God. They serve because of what God has done in their lives. They have a love for God. And if we're going to be effective laborers in the kingdom of God, it starts with our love for God. Our love for God. In the book of 1 John 4.19, it says, We love him because he first loved us. And if we're going to be, if we're going to labor in love, then we first have to be in love with Jesus. I was at the Ford dealership a, a few weeks ago, maybe about a month or so ago, and I was talking to the individual there who was helping me out with my vehicle, and we were talking about God. We're talking about the things of God. And I was telling him about this, this the idea of laboring in love. And he says, man, that's awesome. You gotta love God. He goes, but understand that your love for God is directly linked to your surrender to God. I said, ooh, he's, 
man, he's, he's, he's touching on some subjects, right? And so he began to just tell me, you know, you could say you love God, but if you're not surrendered to God, if your will is not surrendered to God, then you got to ask yourself, uh, are you really in love with God? And he was speaking to me. He, it was really resonating with me, the things that he was saying. It got me to start to think, you know. The Bible talks about that we need to guard our hearts, that it's in the heart that spring the issues of life. The, a lot of times the issues that we're going with and the things that we wrestle with, they, they're issues that are in the heart that, that God wants to bring to light, that wants us to deal with. Our hearts uh, it's, is where our motives are formed, uh, why we do the things we do. It's in our hearts and it's from our hearts that we can either serve from a place of gratitude and love and appreciation and it's also from the heart that we can become bitter, resentful, frustrated, begin to serve with a complaining spirit. We like to say we're venting, but we're going to be honest in the house of God tonight. Amen? When we are surrendered to God, when we allow our, our lives to be used by God, when we're totally surrendered to God, that's when the Bible says we have the power to resist the enemy. It says when you submit yourself to God, it's then that you're able to resist the enemy and he'll flee. And so when the enemy comes and he assaults and he begins to attack and he begins to attack your heart and your mind, we've got to ask ourselves, in my surrender to God, what do I have to release to God so that I have the power to withstand the enemy? The book of 1 John, chapter 2, verse 15 and 17, says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world and its desires are passing away. He says, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Abides forever. What a powerful, powerful uh, uh, passage of Scripture. But what does it mean to love the world? It means that you're putting the world's priority first in your life, the world's philosophy, the world's treasures, the things of the world that are temporal. You're putting that over the eternal righteous things of God. The Bible says that we live in this world, but we're not of this world. It means that this is in our home. That means that uh, we're just passing through. But as we're passing through, we got to deal with the corrupted nature of, of, of the flesh. we got to deal with the, the corruption in the world, the, the temptation, and the world's influences over you and I, over our children. It's seductions that it wants to lure us away from the things of God. The Bible says that we can't serve two masters. We're either going to love one or hate the other. And so if our heart is divided, what ends up happening that if, if we are tending to gravitate towards the things of the world, uh, then our love for God is going to ultimately suffer. I like what Matthew Henry says. He says, the things of the world may be desired and possessed for the uses and purposes which God intended, and they are to be used by his grace and to his glory, but believers must not seek or value them or those uh, purposes to which sin abuses them. The world draws the heart from God 
And the more the love of the world prevails, the more the love of God decays. That's a warning to each and every one of us here that we have to constantly check uh, where is my love? What's my priority? Is it the things of God or is it the things of this world? The deception of the world's lust is, is, is exactly it. It's deception. It, it gives you the empty promise that it's going to leave you fulfilled and content, uh, but it's the contrary. It's, it creates an insatiable appetite, and the more you try to fill yourself uh, with, these, uh, with these appetites, uh, the more it leaves you empty, the more it leaves you hungry. The more it, it does not fill. It does not satisfy. That's why we turn to Christ. Because many of us, uh, we came out of the world and we realized there's absolutely nothing in the world for us. Uh, we tried this, we tried that, we tried the other, and it left us empty and broken. And then we tried Jesus, amen. Man, God is good. God's going to help us tonight. That's why it's so important that we spend time in the presence of God. In, in uninterrupted prayer in deep study of, of God's word. That's where the battle is sometimes, right? We want to pray and we end up, you know, falling asleep or we want to start reading and we get a phone call. Or There's always that, that, that battle, that, uh, that opposition to us being in the presence of God. Because it's in the presence of God where our love for God grows, where our love for God begins to, to excel and begins that fire for him begins to burn husbands you remember when you were courting your wife and you were dating your wife you couldn't wait to be in her presence right what am i the only one <laughs> missed a good chance there husbands i was telling my daughter um that uh when we my wife and i were, were dating uh not we were talking. We weren't dating, but we were in, 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 we met each other here in the, in the house of God. We got married here, and, uh, but uh, when we were getting to know one another, I couldn't wait for service to start, uh, and I couldn't wait for service to end because it meant that after I was done putting everything away, I got a chance to talk to her, and that's when we talked. We didn't have social media. We weren't looking each other up like that. We weren't calling. I don't even know if we had cell phones back then. I, they were around, but not everybody had them, and, um, but what I was saying was um, I just enjoyed those, those few precious moments where we could be in church and begin to talk with one another. And I'd see Marty, you know, the head usher at the time, going by the, by the door, and I'd be like, come on, man, just give me five more minutes. Just five more minutes. What was going on is I was in her presence, and the more I was in her presence, I was falling in love with her. And that's what happens when we're in the presence of God. The more we're in his presence, the more he begins to just put into us and put into us, and we just realize how good God is, how wonderful he is. That's why when we're feeling distant from God or carnal or fleshy, we got to ask ourselves, am I remembering my first love? The book of Psalms, chapter 139, verse 23 and 24 he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. He said, point out anything in me that offends you. And that's hard to be told that you were rude or you were offensive. 
because we all like to think that we're great, right? I was telling my wife, I said, you know, I was at work, and um, I was upset by the way uh, I was uh, talked to. And so uh, I kind of um, gave it a little bit back to them, right? Now, you know, being honest here. And my wife was saying, uh, she goes, you know, when they say, hey, you know that Manny, um, what are they going to say? You know, yeah, he's a good guy, or, or, you know, yeah, he's impatient, or he can come off rude, or he can come off a little standoffish. Doesn't he go to that one church in Norwalk? Doesn't he preach? Isn't he on YouTube? He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Brothers. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Pastor Dan was on it. I heard him. God's helping us tonight. But I appreciate what she was telling me that. It was testimony. It was that, look, there's something inside that uh, uh, you don't like how certain people talk to you or when they talk to you a certain way and your response, uh, you're, 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 you're not upholding that Christian t- testimony. And that's what the psalmist was doing is he was giving the Holy Spirit permission to come within his life and begin to say, this is offensive to me. This is grieving me. This is going to separate my love or, or separate you from me because God, God loves us. See, we can't allow the world or the things of the world to be uh, that love to be stronger than our love for God. And we can't hold back what belongs to God either. Jesus had to surrender. We know the story of when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and he was there and it was about to be his betrayal and his crucifixion and, and what he was wrestling with. He even said, Lord, if this cup cannot pass, there's any other way. But he even came to a place in his life where he said, not my will, but your will be done. He was surrendering to God. And as he surrendered to God, he was given that supernatural ability to go through what he was about to go through. It was his surrender to God, that his love for God and his love for God's people carried him to do what he had to do, and that was to bear that cross. And church, it's our surrendering to God and it's our love for God that's going to allow us to get through whatever we got to get through. That's going to allow us to get through the times when you're spoken to rudely, or you're not, uh, uh, um, or you feel like uh, maybe something was done unfair to you. It's your love for God and it's your surrender, your surrender to God that's going to get you through every trial and every struggle and every hardship that you will encounter. See, God, He takes notice as you serve his people. He sees when you are sharing his love with uh, individuals, when you're encouraging someone, when you're comforting someone. He sees what you do for him when no one else sees. He sees when you're praying for someone. No one knows that you're praying for that individual. He sees when you're going out of your way and you're blessing someone and, 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 and helping someone go through whatever it is that they might be going through. He sees that, appreciates that. The Bible says that he recognizes that. He knows you. 
the book of Matthew, chapter 7, 34 and 40, through 40. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And the righteous ones will reply, and Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or, or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? Verse 40, it says, and the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and my sisters, you were doing it to me. You understand what God was saying right there, what the Lord was saying right there? That's a game changer if you think about it. Uh, we might not sometimes get the attaboys or the appreciation or the pats on the back uh, because sometimes God is going to call us to serve people that are in no position to pay us back. They're in no position to acknowledge uh, what we're doing for them. But God says, you're doing it to them, you're doing it to me. And that's the reward that we get uh, as we serve individuals. We're serving God. And God says, I'm taking notice of that. I see all that you do for the kingdom of God, how you're laboring in love. We have to have a love for God. We also have to have a love for people. In the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verse 37 to 39, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In 1 John 3.11, says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We're talking about this, this evening, laboring in love. So what does it mean to love others? Well, love doesn't seek its own benefit. It seeks the benefit of others. The Bible says that love isn't rude or angry or harsh or selfish. But love, uh, it, it gives. It's sacrificial. It, it looks uh, how it can bless and, and, and build up others, and it doesn't hold back. Love forgives. Love covers a multitude of sins. And I know we like to say that because sometimes we're like, well, man, you know, God knows, and God loves me. But you ever been forgiven? And ever been loved by someone that you've offended or someone that you've hurt? It does something to you. It humbles you. We've sinned and, and offended God. And his love was so great for us that he was willing to sacrifice his one and only son. And when we received that love, it changed us. It, it, it transformed us. Game changer. You ever have to love someone that has hurt or offended you? And that's when it can seem impossible because you love them. And that's why it hurt, the offense. That's why there's, there's, there's genuine pain there. And you're thinking, how am I going to show this person love? Well, you do it by drawing strength from God. You don't do it on your own. You, be, you go to God, 
You begin to draw from that well. You begin to draw from that resource. And God, I need you right now. I need you right here, right now. And you begin to pray for that individual. You begin to, to ask uh, God to, to help uh, that individual with whatever it is uh, that that individual might be going through that would cause them to do what they did. And you begin to leave that burden at the foot of Christ. Because they may never even acknowledge what they've done to you. And they may never even ask for the forgiveness of what they've done to you. But the burden is off of you. You're not carrying that weight. You're not carrying that load that you were never meant to carry because you're saying here, God, I don't want it. I'm letting it go. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiving. See, we are identified as Christians by the way we show our love. That's, that's our identity is in Christ. We, we live in a world that is obsessed right now with self-identity. Identify as this or identify as that. Uh, you know, but we are born-again Christians. That means we are children of the Most High God. That means our identity is found in Christ. It's found in God. And Jesus is saying, uh, you see how they love people? You see how they love one another? That's because I'm in them. Because my seal is on them. We really need to learn how to see people the way God sees people. And God sees them as valuable. That's why he gave his son for people, for you and I. And we also need to see that each and every one of us here has a need that only God can meet. And so often we, 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 we see the outworking manifestation of sin on a person's life. We say, man, they need to get right. They need to clean their act. And we forget that they can't because there's a sin debt there. There's a bondage there. There's a grip from the enemy there. And the only one that can break it to bondage and the only one that can break that sin that, and, and, and pay it off uh, is the blood of Jesus. It's Jesus and what he did on the cross. Uh, and we got to remember, man, that people are going through it. Uh, and it's only the love of God. It's the power of God. It's the blood of Christ uh, that can forgive and set them free. John 9, verse 1 through 3. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth at Rabbi, his disciples asked, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sin or his parents? Jesus said it was not because of his sin or his parents, but this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. And sometimes, uh, just like the disciples, we can see the obvious in a person's life. Uh, well, they're struggling with this, and they're struggling with that, and, and this is why their lives ain't right. Uh, but what Jesus was seeing in the life of this individual, and what we need to see as well, is that they were a miracle waiting to happen. That God was going to show himself powerful and mighty and true by the way he was going to work in the individual's life. That's what God did in, in, in each and every one of us, right? We have testimonies here. Don't forget that. What God has done in our lives. We see the refined product. But there's people out there who remember how we might have been or how we might have acted. And they see and they say, wow, God is real, man. God is real. And he's doing something. Love motivates us. 
We'll work for what we love. We'll sacrifice for, and, and give for what we love. And we'll share with what is ours with those that we love. That's what God does with us. He gives, he loves us, he gives to us, he meets our needs, he blesses us. And sometimes I believe that God will bless you and give you something, but it's not for you, it's for you to turn around and give it to someone else. You're just a manager. You're just a manager of it. In the book of Acts, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, it says, Peter and John, they went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer um, service. And as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so that he could beg for the, from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. And the lame man looked at them, eagerly expecting some money. And Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. Silver or gold I do not have, right? He says, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, of the Nazarene, get up and walk. He says, I don't have money to give you. I don't got that to give you. But what I got, I got Jesus on the inside, man. And what he did for me, he can do for you. And he told him, get up and walk. And he gave him Jesus. He gave him what he had. And that's what we got to give sometimes, churches. We got to give what we got. I mentioned that individual earlier this evening, Leonard Knight. And he, he would often say that if you love God, keep it simple. He said, God, he loved us first, so don't complicate it. And what we do for God isn't complicated. We serve him by serving others. And we serve from that place of appreciation from what God has done in our lives and that love for him and that love and appreciation for what he's going to do in someone else's life. And that's how we, we, we labor in love. When we give what we got, we, we give of our gifts and talents. And it's, so blessed, it's such a blessing to see that younger generation of musicians coming up, right? Monday at the talent show, I saw the youth band again. I love the youth band. They're awesome. That was, that's a result of someone laboring in love and investing in them. And because someone is laboring in love and investing into this, into this youth band and this next generation, they're using their gifts and their talents to bless us. See, God has given us his word. His word comforts us, encourages us, it guides us, it directs us. And we can use the word of God when we're encouraging others, when we're helping others, when we're ministering to others. He's given us his Holy Spirit Bible says that he's our helper, that he quickens us. Sometimes we don't know what to say or how to pray or what to do in a situation or circumstance, but we got the spirit on the inside, and he'll begin to lead us and prompt us. We have his anointing, the ability to accomplish that which God has called us to do. Uh, one author said about the anointing that uh, the anointing is the burden 
removing, and yoke-breaking power of God. Anointing is what empowers a man or a woman to function supernaturally. Anointing is that which enables you to do supernatural things. And each and every one of you here has been anointed by God to continue to share the message of love, to share the message of salvation, forgiveness of sins. It's not us. It's God working in us. We got to give what we've learned. It's discipleship. I'm a disciple. I'm still a learner. I'm still a follower. I, I, I learn from my pastors. I learn from my leaders. I learn from the body of Christ. And what I learned, I, I, I want to impart it into others because others took the time to impart it into me. And I think uh, probably one of the greatest resources that we can give is our time is our time. Uh, man, I was thinking about years ago, a, a real personal friend of mine, close friend, he, um, he was sick and he was in the hospital and his, brother, his brother-in-law called me and my wife and said, he's not going to make it. So we went uh, to see him there at the hospital and the room was filled with believers and families and people were, they were worshiping God in there. And this individual, in his, literally his last hours, he was praying for people. He was leading people to the Lord. He was encouraging people. He was telling us, you can make it. You can keep going. God's going to use you. What an awesome, awesome testimony that in his final minutes, he was laboring for the things of God. Laboring. We, we, we you know, we just lost an, man, a real valued brother, member in the body of Christ here. And, uh, you know, Chaplain George, awesome man of God. And I was hearing, but I was hearing all of these reports that when he was in his hospital room, he was praying for the doctors and the nurses. He was witnessing to them. He was leading them to the Lord. Servant, serving until the end. What causes an individual whose last moments, last days, uh, to, to serve and to continue the labor? It's love. It's love. It's their love for God and their love for others. That they've finished their course and they're saying, but you haven't finished yet. yet. Uh, you need to keep going and you need to keep persevering. Man, what an awesome testimony, man. And I'm, you know, proud to have called them my brother, you know. As our worship team comes up, none of us here have lived perfect lives. I think we've all done here things that if we could take back, we probably would definitely do them differently. Thank God for his grace and God for his forgiveness. And there's a story in the Bible, in Luke chapter 7, of a woman who the Bible describes as a sinful woman. And she found out that uh, Jesus was at the house of a Pharisee having dinner. And so she crashes the dinner party. And she shows up uh, at the house of the Pharisee. And once she's there, she anoints Jesus with this expensive uh, uh, oil, and it fills the, the room with that fragrance. 
And then she bows at his feet and begins to weep. And the Bible says that the tears from her eyes just began to wash the feet of Jesus. And with her hair, she cleaned his feet. And the Pharisee there at that house, he was thinking to himself, if, if Jesus, if this man knew who she was, knew just how sinful she was. So Jesus, he says a parable and he says, you know, there's these two individuals and they both have this outstanding debt. One is greater than the other, but neither one of them have the ability to pay that debt. He says, and, and the one to whom the debt was owed, uh, he forgives the debt. And he asked the Pharisee, which one do you think, uh, which one do you think would have that greater love, that greater appreciation? And the Pharisee says, well, the one who was forgiven of the higher debt. Jesus, he begins to tell the Pharisee how this sinful woman, all that she was doing, that when he came in, he wasn't offered water to wash his feet, but that she was washing his feet with her tears, drying his feet with her hair. How he wasn't greeted with a kiss or shown that hospitality, but that this sinful woman couldn't stop kissing his feet. And he says, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, that same loves little. See, this woman, Jesus knew exactly who she was. Nothing was hidden from him. He knew who she was, and he knew what she was all about and her, what her past was like. But he also knew that there was healing taking place in her life. As she was serving the Lord, as she was, uh, as she was washing his feet and anointing him with that fragrant oil, she was serving him, and there was something taking place in her life. There was a healing taking place in her life. There was deliverance taking place in her life. And I believe that there might be some people here tonight that you've been hurt. You've been hurt. And because you've been hurt, you've been looking inward. You've been looking at that hurt. You've been looking at that pain. You've been looking at what's been done and what was done wrong to you. And God is saying, you got to leave that. You got to turn your attention away from that. Put it back on God and begin to serve those that are experiencing the same pain that you've experienced, that are experiencing the same hurt that you might have experienced. And begin to serve and labor in love. And as you begin to allow yourself to be used, and you surrender that pain and that hurt and begin to invest into others, uh, you see how God will begin to move within your life. And you see how God will begin to take away that pain and that hurt and bring healing and bring that comfort. But you can't hold back. You can't hold back your gifts. You can't hold back your talents. You got to be willing, just like a, my friend uh, from the Ford dealership said, you got to be willing to surrender it. You got to be willing to let it go. You got to be willing to say, as imperfect as I am, God, here I am. I want to be used. We have such a need in the house of God. We have such a need in the kingdom of God. And each and every one of us here has a, an important part to, to play in it. And nothing that we do for God is insignificant. And nothing that we do for God is in vain, the Bible says. Church, I'll close with this uh, scripture. In the book of 1 Corinthians 13.3, 
It says, if I give everything I have to the poor and even sacrifice my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Church, the greatest thing that we can gain in the kingdom of God are the individuals that we help and lead to the Lord and bring with us. Because we're all trying to get to heaven. We're not there yet. We're all trying to get to heaven. And, and, and we can't take anything with us except for those that we've helped along the way. Amen. Amen. With our heads bowed tonight and our eyes closed.